will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome to another episode of Leverage Addict Podcast, where getting more debt is a good thing. I'm your host, Blandon, and today we're diving into another exciting success story. We're thrilled to have Callum McKenzie with us today. Callum is not just an owner of a property management company, but an amazing property investor himself. He understands how he can leverage his assets for maximum gain. His journey in the property market is one of innovation and smart strategies, and we're going to look into those today. He's going to share with us some of his secrets to success and how he's helping other people navigate the complex world of property investing. And before we jump into the content with Callum today, here's a little bit about how I got to know him. The first time I heard about this guy was through emails because clients were sending through deals in the email and it was like a deal summary of properties that he have under contract or he's on selling. So I know Callum from his trading days where he was really active in that space and did a whole bunch of flips. He's going to share a little bit about that. But I saw some of those deals. They were very, very solid fundamentals and he definitely did a good job trying to market them to his database. And yeah, a lot of those actually came through and I actually subscribed to it myself. So it's amazing to have you here, Callum. Cheers for the intro there. So um, how do you even respond to that? I was not expecting you to have known so much or gone into so much detail of the background. <laughs> no, good. You can tell straight away, Callum is a detail-oriented guy, a bit more quieter, the analyst type. So he's definitely really analytical when it comes to properties. But you know, how did you match that personality with trading a whole bunch of properties? I don't know, but I'm keen to find out. So maybe you can start off with telling us about how you got started in property, how you took your first step, and then later on transition to owning a property management firm as well. Oh, okay, awesome. Well, I think the way I structured the trades was mostly to do with my background coming into property. So like everyone, well, most people, I started as a buy and hold investor. It was kind of accidentally at first. I did, had no idea what I was doing. One of the cash flow hacks we'll talk about is my very first deal. Wait, first of all, I want the audience to know how many trades you did within the time frame that you did trade. <laughs> um, we were trading from, well, I started trading in about 2018, but it really got hated in 2020, 2021. And in the, I think it was about 15 months, did 50 trades. So yeah. at one point we were buying one per week. So Thomas Singh's not the only guy. Thomas Singh's not the only guy. Yeah. It was, he was in the first one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I talked to Tama a lot when we were trading as well. We were both sending each other deals. So Yeah, no, Tama's, you know, shared his success story on the podcast as well and definitely worth listening to if you guys haven't. Yeah, awesome. So the background I had was buy and hold. We just did the standard buy something, renovate it, refinance it and buy more. Eventually we got stuck where the banks wouldn't give us more money because I had no idea what servicing was. I knew equity and understood it and that kind of sent me down a, a Rabbit hole came across Graham Fowler's books and went, How did this guy get so many properties and how can I do the same? I think after I went down that cash flow rabbit hole though, I got too addicted to trading, just the thrill of buying yeah. something. At first I started renovating it. So I did about 10 renovations over a, a two and a half year period, just buying rundown houses. I'm not hold you there for a second because we skipped a very important part, right? You started trading at 2018. People can tell on camera, like you're a young guy. 2018, that's five years ago. When did you buy your 
first property and like what pushed a young person to be like, you know what, I want to do property investing. What was that first deal like? The first deal, I was actually looking for my own home and I was quite a stingy young 20 year old. So I thought if I can find something with enough rooms to rent out, I can have other people cover my mortgage. You sound like Simon, <laughs> which is my colleague. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he must be a smart guy. So. I ended up buying a three bedroom house, adding a couple of bedrooms to it and living downstairs myself. And just that, I guess, got me on the track of going, well, if I bought something else, how do I get cash flow out of it so that I don't have to pay the mortgage? I didn't want to be paying topping up mortgages. And then that's how I came across. So another home. term for that, it's very popular. It's called house hacking. So essentially yeah. you wanted to have a house, you can live in it, but you don't have to pay for it. So I had flatmates all move into the house and I got it to a, at the time, cash flow neutral stage. And we had a, a lot of equity that we managed to create doing the renovation. Tell me about that property because I've seen that property on the pictures, right? You bought this place where there was a huge basement. It was a pretty big one. And you saw another house, you said. Yeah, I saw a house under the house. So <laughs> the whole thing is just over 200 square meters. And it was only a three bedroom upstairs that had been well renovated by a trader. I didn't understand what a trader was at the time, but they bought it, renovated and sold it to us. And the downstairs was this huge workshop area, like a 90 square meter space. We could have put more bedrooms in there, but because I wanted to live in it myself, I didn't want to overcrowd it. We put another two bedrooms downstairs and they went back to the bank and said, hey, we've done this all through council and everything. Yeah, so good. And they pretty much said, here's some more money, go and buy more. How long did it take and what was some of the challenges that, you know, when you go through that process? And before actually you answer that, for the listeners out there, like one thing that you need to pay attention to what Callum just said, he said he bought a three bedroom with 200 square meters of floor area. So a lot of the time when you're looking for a house, you want to see how many bedroom per square meter you're buying. If you're just looking at stats, the more floor area or less rooms, the better, because the chances are is that you can renovate it just like what Callum is talking about. But what are some of the challenges that you had to face when you went through that? The first one was knowing if we did the work, what was it going to be worth at the end? So we were going to be taking debt to pay for the renovation and we wanted to know, well, if we're taking debt, are we just going to be increasing our debt level for less value? Was the value going to increase more than the debt we took? We were lucky. We had a really good advisor at the bank who helped us figure out what the valuation might have been after. And based on those numbers, we knew roughly how much equity we would have created at the end. So that was the first challenge. The second one was Auckland Council. That was my very first taste of dealing with council. We used an architect, we used proper trades and everything and had the whole thing signed off. And that was a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. How long did it take? I was told at the start, maybe three months and it took more than a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love it when clients come and just like, hey, I'm going to, you know, build a house, subdivide this house and do it in eight months to 12 months. And then I'm asking them like, oh, is this the first one that you're doing? Or, and then, yeah, yeah it's my first one. And I was like, okay, like, yeah, we have all, to extend that timeline a little bit. All of them is if a consultant tells you something, double the timeline and probably increase the budget 50%. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's good advice. So when you were dealing with the valuation, like how did you trust this banker to tell you this information? Because wouldn't you try and get like a registered valuer to, to do a as of complete valuation there or or they didn't sort of give you that advice? No, they, they didn't ask for a registered valuation. The way they did it at the time was through CMA, so comparative market analysis. We looked at what area three bedrooms were selling in the area. And then we looked at five bedrooms, six bedroom houses, and we said, well, if we're going 
going to turn it into this? What's the increase? What are they selling for right now? What's the difference between the price? And kind of worked out the increase in equity minus the, the cost of the renovation, which was going to be debt. And then that left us with, okay, we're going to have this much more left over at the end to take to the next purchase. Yeah. And so what year was this? When we started this, it must have been 2014. 2014. No, 20, 2015. Wow. That's amazing because when I did my first property in 2015, I bought like a three-bedroom cross lease. You know, and you're doing this like complex deal. And how much equity did you gain in that deal? It was it wasn't a huge amount. It was just less than 180, I think. 180. Wow, it's not too bad. Like I mean, like a for year, it's it's definitely really good. What I'm wondering is like for me at the time, I thought I knew a lot because I was like following renovations around. You know, check out properties that they were renovating, trying to learn all about that like for a young person early 20s to be like yeah i'm gonna buy this property where i'm don't pay for it what was the inspiration because it has to come from somewhere the ballsiness of being able to buy this house and turn the basement into another house is like it's not natural who's inspired you my family don't come from a property background so none of them were investors but i have to say my parents they're entrepreneurial my dad ran a company with quite a few staff and it was throughout the whole country and i guess he was experienced as a business owner to understand numbers. So yeah, there was a lot of support I guess to say, well, I don't know, just take a logical approach, look at the numbers and if it works, just go for it. And there was points when I said, no, nah, I don't want to do it because I think, you know, it was my very first deal. I barely knew what a sale and purchase agreement was yeah. going into this, like how to even sign one. And there was points where I said, I'm, oh, I don't want to do it. I might back out. And he, the thing he said to me going into the auction, we purchased this auction. He said, if you don't bid to the number you told me you're going to, I'm going to bid and I'm going to buy it instead. And I thought, okay, no, nah, I need to, I want to do the project. So he, he kind of gave me that final push. Yeah. Well, that's so good. You know, not a very common story, you know, between father and son. So sort of like, <laughs> yeah. I'll be pushing you to buy the property. Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm glad he did because it changed my life. So 2017, 18 was the year when you're like, okay, I bought a couple more. Now I'm stuck with the servicing capacity. It's a very common story. Like a lot of people like get to the point where, oh, the bank says no. They take two path. One is they do nothing. Two it's like, okay, what other avenues can I go down to really push myself towards growth? And you chose the latter. Yeah. So when, when we got told no more money from the bank because of serviceability, it made me learn what that meant, first of all. So I started doing courses after work because I had a full-time job at the time. So went and did some courses, learned more about it, and then came across trading that way. What courses led to trading though? What courses led to trading? Yeah. It was GRA's course. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So we did that. I read a few more books. I went along to another group at the time who I'm not sure if they're around anymore, Asset Lab, and learned about trading and went, wow, that looks really cool. And turning something that looks like trash into something that is amazing for someone else to live in. It who was your mentor at the time? So I ended up joining with Asset Lab yeah. to learn how to trade. And who in Asset Lab was trading? Sally McCormick was a huge inspiration to, I guess she got me into trading. She's the reason I initially just, maybe my first renovation, she supported me a lot. And after that, it was just like a snowball effect. I just wanted to buy more and more and keep renovating them. So if you guys don't know, check out the YouTube channel. Sally actually have two episodes with us. One where she showed like a deal, like step-by-step, -step, all the numbers, what does she go through? And then another one, just more about her story. So definitely check that out. And if you guys don't know already, we've got a coaching program 
program, but it's only offered to our Property Formula Workshop clients. So if you're needing somebody to hold your hand and you really want to learn more about properties, then check out our Property Formula Workshop. And then if you still need a bit more handholding, Sally actually contracts to some of the coaching that we do as well. So definitely check it out. But back into your story, Callum. So now you go on this trade thing, 2018. What was the pivot point to like, okay, I'm going to scale this thing? I think it was just the thrill of the deal. At that time, I learned I love closing deals and I love selling a, a renovated property. So Such a soft-spoken guy. <laughs> I came up with a way to scale and I thought well, everyone else is using contractors and the, the biggest two hurdles are finance and having a good team together. Eventually, I got it to the point where I had enough deals coming in, enough renovations happening that I employed my own team. My best mate was my project manager. So he was on site all of the time. We had contractors coming in, but we had part-timers or people there working dedicated for us. And that helped me bring costs down and it helped me speed up renovations. So I did another maybe four or five renovations in the next year after I did my first one. And at that point, I thought, I like renovating houses, but it's still so slow because you you spend three to five weeks renovating something and then you've got to wait three months on the market for it to sell. And I thought, oh, there's got to be a quicker way to scale this up. At the same time, COVID was happening. So it's not like that smart of an idea to have product you're halfway through renovating with the risk of the market shutting down and being locked out of your own property and not being able to get in there to finish the renovation, you'll just get eaten alive in interest. So I pivoted again at the time and I teamed up with another guy. We did the same concept where we had a team working with us. So it wasn't just one person finding deals, renovating something with contractors and selling them. We became a team where we found deals for other people and we became very good at finding deals. And it got to the point where we just had people like your clients coming to us saying, hey, I'm looking for this property in this region and we would hunt the deal down we would fly all over the country yeah. um, looking at these things and then yeah that's where we scaled it up to the 50 deals in the yeah. year and a half over 2021 that's so good and a lot of the deals that i saw your your later work were the land bank deals where you're buying like land banks and on-selling potentially double settlements where you get under contract unconditionally and then you on-sell it before you sell it so you go from scaling the rental, sorry, the trading to rental property management. What was the next pivot point? Like what got you to the next thing? Again, as a finance that caused me to to pivot. So after we were trading, we were doing two things trading. We were finding cash flow deals for people and we were finding land for developers. I ended up purchasing three properties at the end of 2021 as development properties. So I was going to settle them and either build them and hold them or build them and sell them. And not many people say, but it's really hard to finance when your sole income is trading property. So you can earn a a really good amount of money, but to take that money to a bank and say, hey, here's my income, they're just going to laugh you out the door and say, what happens when the market stops? Yeah. Ironically, it did. Yeah. Because you, you didn't believe it, but the bank's seen it. Yeah. <laughs> the bank has seen The it. bank's more experienced. <laughs> um, yeah. So at that point, I thought, okay, well, instead of getting trapped in this again, trading can come back. That's a passion. But in the meantime, I really need to build a cash flow beast. And I wanted to keep it in property because I love doing property deals and helping other investors and that kind of thing. So property management sort of sprung up. And again, it's just something else will probably scale in the same way. Just it's all like, it's all about relationships in the industry. Yeah. I just like the, I guess the opportunity to help other investors through it as well. Yeah, so good. Well, 
that's really good insight. And I think there are a lot of nuggets there for the audience to take out. And I want to also maybe get you to share some of the hacks, right? Like you've done a lot of deals, you've done a lot of renovations, you've got your own buy and hold strategy and portfolio, right? There are some really neat tricks that you've done to your properties to increase its cash flow. Like say, for example, some of the land banks you have. And there were four or five that you shared with me before that you've done. And I thought those are really good insights for the audience as well. Maybe you can dive into like, what value can you bring as property management or property manager more than just managing their property? Because you obviously advise them on a lot of these things that you've done yourself. Maybe share with us a couple of those things that you've done. I suppose when I started as an investor, I was always focused on cash flow. When I was trading, I lost sight of that a little bit because like a trader's mindset, I was always looking for a deal and the only way I make cash is to sell something. When I banked those three properties, they were not great cash flow deals. One of them was a central Auckland property. Great position to develop a house or townhouses on it. Which suburb? In Mount Albert, but I was pretty much losing four or five hundred dollars a week. And that was when rates were really good, good interest rates. When interest rates started raising, or I'm not sure what they were up to when I decided, oh crap, I've got to do something about this. I think it might have been six or seven percent. I thought, okay, what do I need to do to get this thing to just at least break even? Because otherwise it's going to be burning a big hole in my pocket. And I had two other properties that were very similar going to start doing the same thing. And in 2022, 2023, trading wasn't good. So I needed them to cash flow. Kind of forced me to think about ways to do it. The first one, this is the best cash flow hack that I've come across for, I guess, just a standard investor to do, anyone to do. We had this brilliant space in the front lawn and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go and purchase this cabin, a tiny home. Yeah. And we dropped it on the front lawn. At the time, I didn't know if it was going to work, but I thought, well, again, everything around me, looking at other Airbnbs and things on the market, this thing should work as an Airbnb here. And we did that and that booked out 99% of the time. Really? For 100 to $200 a night. And we doubled the income of that property. Doubled. Doubled it. Doubled. So you're taking a 3% cash flow to six. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's insane. And so one is cabin, two is Airbnb. What else have you done? I mean, well, we talked about potentially renovating like a, a big space to another another house almost becoming a home and income. What else are some cash flow hacks that you could help your property managed clients with? Yeah, so there's the adding rooms like I did with that very first deal. I've got some numbers on that just so we know what kind of cash flow that got. At the moment, that property is a five bedroom house and the location it's in is about $1,200 a week. If you look at what a three bedroom house is there, it's $838 a week. So we've increased that cash flow $360 in today's terms because different rental prices back then. But in today's terms, that's $360 a week better off. You can do the same thing in South Auckland, just adding one bedroom, maybe not to the same numbers. You're not going to have as big an increase adding one or two bedrooms in South Auckland, but still yeah. a good hack. But so, ca cabins, generally speaking, you can buy the whole thing for like 15 to 30K. Yeah. So around 20K, put a cabin in the backyard. You can increase like as in adding an extra bedroom. I've got some numbers to run through as well. Just find where those numbers are. We did this recently in a, a property in Mangere, which was rented for six twenty a week, which is slightly under rented, just a three bedroom. Put a cabin on it. It's done really nicely though, so it's got its own cupboard.
covered area from the back of the house into the house. And we increased the rent to 800 a week. So that's uh, extra $180 from putting a cabin there that costs roughly $22,000 to set up. That's really good. So roughly, I mean, $180, like you're almost getting like $9,000 and what you put in 20, it's almost like 40% return on your money. Yeah. And the (laughs) investor that owned the property wasn't even worried. He was just going to re-rent it as an average three-bedroom house. Yeah. So now he's got a huge increase on his cash flow. He's happy as. And that's something you can manage for your clients. Yeah. Yeah. So we sourced the cabin for him. We put it down. We had all the contractors. So it was completely hands-off. All he did was pay the bill and get the extra cash flow every week into his account. Surely you're going to charge like some extra. No, it's (laughs) it's our job. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I like that. I like that. So were there other ones that you thought were worth mentioning? The last one is a simple cosmetic tidy up. And this is way undervalued. Lots of people don't realize doing certain things to the property that can increase how a tenant sees value in it. And these are things like in the kitchen, you don't need to replace the whole kitchen. Sometimes it's just the bench top adding new handles on. It makes the whole thing look new. You could go as far as painting cupboards if they're in bad condition. Doing things like curtains, new modern looking curtains. And that's not much at all. No, a couple hundred dollars from Bunnings. A bench top might cost five, six hundred dollars. And handles is a couple hundred dollars. And the other thing is vinyl and carpet is actually not as expensive as people think. Like you can put vinyl down if there's a real tatty looking area, thousand, two thousand dollars. And when someone walks in, it just gives it that wow, this property's been looked after, it's maintained, and it makes people think, okay, well, I can pay a little bit more rent for this. So good. We've got a property coming available over the Christmas period where we're going to do this exact thing to it's slightly under rented. Actually, not slightly under rented. It's quite under rented at the moment because we inherited this management and we're taking the rent from 585 to just under 700 a week from doing a simple little renovation like this. Yeah. So we're just going to do kitchen, vinyl, probably replace curtains and that rent's going to go up. And how much would you be spending? That one, I think we're looking at about six and a half thousand dollars and that's increasing the cash flow $110 a week. That's crazy. So what were we looking at? You're looking at like 7,000 return. You're looking at hundred percent, more than a hundred percent return on your cash. Yeah. Solid. There you go, guys. That's There you have it. If you need a, then just your normal property manager who manage your property, but someone who can advise you and cash flow your property, Callum's your guy. As we wrap up today, I want to just say thank you, Callum. Thanks for joining us and really giving us a lot of insights on your own story and some hacks around property cash flowing. And to our listeners out there, if you guys listen to this point, I only ask for one thing, that is to just share this episode. If you find value with another person, that would benefit from it. And don't forget, if you're watching our YouTube, to subscribe and you know leave a comment. I love hearing from you guys. And until next episode, stay tuned as we learn more about leveraging. Awesome. Thanks, man. And thanks for having me on. Thank you, Callum. We'll talk again.